In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A blessed pre-Lent to all of you. Believe it or not, Ash Wednesday is just a week and a half away. And so I pray your planning and preparations are all going well. What great freedom there is in Christ crucified and in Christ resurrected. Freedom not only from our sins, not only from our need to justify ourselves before God, but great freedom also to pursue prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Today, the lectionary directs our attention to consider that which is absolutely foundational for our existence, the Word of God. All three of our readings give us a different picture with a different emphasis. In Isaiah 55, the Word of God is compared to rain and snow that come down from heaven upon the earth, causing it to spring forth with new life, including food seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Of course, in our modern hubris, we forget that if God wanted to severely punish us, all he would need to do is withhold rain, and there would soon be worldwide famine and death. In the 8th century BC, the prophet Amos preached of a much worse kind of famine, a famine not of bread and water, but of the hearing of the word of the Lord. I sometimes reflect on this when I think of the ocean of information available to us today, streaming to us through our iPhones and tablet screens and TVs. But counterintuitively, the ocean is in fact a kind of desert. All our quote-unquote information is about as nourishing to the soul as seawater is to the body. An ocean of information, and yet none of it can give what a single word from God can give. Life. Amos' prophecy that a famine of the word would come is, of course, much worse than a famine of earthly food and water. And I have seen this famine of the word, I'm sure you have as well, hit individual congregations, large areas and regions of our country where once many congregations thrive are now all but barren. And it has even struck entire continents. As an aside, if you're planning on moving away for retirement at some point, make absolutely sure that there's a good Lutheran church nearby, or you might find yourself experiencing this famine firsthand. When one can simply go to Costco and buy a 300-pound bag of anything, famine is unthinkable. And so it is when we have abundant access to the hearing of God's word, we might think it unthinkable. But just as Amos accurately predicted what would happen in ancient Israel, Martin Luther accurately predicted what would happen in Germany. And we can see the handwriting on the wall for our country as well. Just replace Germans with Americans and hear what Luther has to say. I fear we shall suffer a still more dreadful darkness and plague. 
oh, my beloved Germans, buy while the market is at your door. Gather in the harvest while there is sunshine and fair weather. Make use of God's grace and word while it is still there. For you should know that God's word and grace is like a passing shower of rain, which does not return where it has once been. It has been with the Jews, but when it is gone, it's gone. Now they have nothing. Paul brought it to the Greeks. But again, when it's gone, it's gone. And now they have the Turk. Rome and the Latins also had it. But when it's gone, it's gone. And now they have the Pope. And you Germans need not think that you will have it forever. For ingratitude and contempt will not make it stay. Therefore, seize it and hold fast. Truer words could not be spoken. God's word is like a passing shower. Ingratitude and contempt drive it away. This happens quite literally when ingratitude and contempt keep people from coming to church. And in a single generation, the churches are empty. It happens quite literally when the people of a congregation no longer give to support the preaching of the gospel in their midst. The congregation closes and God moves the cloud on. It happens too when a country no longer sees the connection between the presence of God's word and the temporal wealth and blessing that so often accompany that word preferring instead just the wealth and thinking that just the wealth and the blessing will always remain. In fact, this is precisely where our country is today. A famine of bread and water leads only to temporal death, but a famine of the word leads to eternal death. If there is no word, there is no faith, for faith comes by hearing. And faith that was at one time healthy quickly withers and dies, leaving but a shell or a husk of its former self. It might look like faith, and yet there's not much inside. And this is why we ought to be so critically concerned for our brothers and sisters who have stopped attending church during the pandemic and who have now also fallen away from the online services. Government has convinced people to stay away from church. And while the recent Supreme Court victory may look like a win, notice how much power Caesar has taken over the question of when and how Christians may worship. Friends, this is not the domain of Caesar. And it is, in fact, a satanic transgression for him to tell Christians how and when they can worship and whether or not they can sing. I fear that what remains in many who are going to grocery stores or clothing stores during the week but forsaking the word of the Lord on the Lord's Day is little more than a shell of their former faith. For where there is no word, there is no faith. And so we must pray more fervently for them than ever 
and heed Luther's words and enjoin them to heed Luther's words, to seize the word while we have it, to hold it fast and not let it be taken from us, to store it up in our hearts, replenish it as often as we can, and by no means take it for granted. We must treat the Word of God as if it was the most precious resource we have, even more precious than our earthly lives, because it is. The words of Isaiah end with a beautiful picture. The Word comes down from heaven and brings life and food and joy. God's Word does not return to him empty. A fact I'm reminded of every time a kiddo doesn't look like he's paying attention and then asks me some profound question later about the sermon. God's word does not return to him empty. In fact, in finality, the word of God will bring about the new creation itself. In the language of Isaiah, no more thorn or briar, but only the cypress and the myrtle Mountains and hills shall sing, trees shall clap their branches, and we, along with all the faithful, will bless the name of the Lord. So the darker and the drier times get, the more we need the word, and to keep the faith in what that word promises to bring. As we turn from Isaiah to Hebrews, we see different imagery altogether employed. The word here is described as living and active. It's one of the reasons why I don't really like that the proclamation of the Old Testament epistle and gospel texts have come to be called readings. And you see me turn around and say not, please be seated for the readings, but rather, please be seated for the word of the Lord. I think readings gives the wrong impression as if we're simply up here reading from some man-made book or quoting from some old dusty text, like reciting poetry or something like that, when what is actually happening is the living voice of the living God entering our ears. As the author of Hebrews puts it, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You thought you were listening to the word in order to discern what it means. In fact, it is discerning who you are and what you mean. You thought you were reading the word, when in fact it was the word that was reading you. It is indeed a sword that pierces and divides in a way that human reason cannot understand. As Luther says, Christ's word breaks through and wounds. It takes away every ground of trust and ascribes redemption solely to the blood of Christ. It pricks and wounds the soul, but this is a health bestowing wound, for these weapons kill in order to make alive. Next, we move from Hebrews to our Lord's Sermon of the Sower. And here we see how he preaches and scatters his seed, his word, everywhere, desiring that all would hear and be saved. 
but the devil, the oppression of the world and the pleasures of the world, along with our own sinful nature, wage war against the word so that it cannot live and grow within us and bear fruit. Our Lord calls us to renounce the old trinity of evil, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Now more than ever, we see that the world is filled with misinformation, disinformation, and lies. Now more than ever, we need not only to hear the word of the Lord, but to take care how we hear it. Do not let the devil strip from you what the sower sows. Do not be as those who believe for a little while, but in a time of testing fall away, like plants that have no root. Do not be as those who are choked by the cares and pleasures of this world, but rather hold fast to the word with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Just how important is the word of God? John the Evangelist tells us, in the beginning was the word, and through the word all things were made. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the climax of all the scriptures is when the word becomes flesh. He becomes flesh not to condemn us, though he certainly could. Instead, he comes down like rain to shower us with the forgiveness of sins. He comes to pierce through our gloom and despair. He comes to embed himself within our hearts that he might spring up within us and give us life and abundant eternal fruit. The word becomes flesh so that you might have an answer to the devil and can withstand his lies and accusations. God is love. You can see his heart on the cross. God is merciful. He lays down his own life of infinite worth for you. God is true. He does not and cannot lie. The word becomes flesh so that you can have an answer to the flood of lies and disinformation that's ravaging our world. The word made flesh says this, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, but it did not fall, for it was built upon the rock. The word became flesh so that you would have an answer to the sinful flesh that remains in you. By his blood, you are forgiven. Yes, even if your heart condemns you, here is one who is greater than your heart. By his blood, you are not only forgiven, you gain access to the Father, and he hears your prayers, truly, each and every one of them. 
and he answers them in accordance with his own good and gracious will because he, in fact, does know what's best. Dear friends in Christ, where the word is, Jesus is. Where the gospel is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there the Savior of the world is present. Today, he is with us. Though not visible to our eyes, by faith we do indeed perceive him. We worship him and we receive all that he gives. This is what the divine service means, or Gottesdienst in German. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, Jesus says. And I came not to be served, but to serve. So the divine one is present with us to serve us. According to our bodily senses and reason, we don't perceive any of this. It's only a pastor, you see, only bread that you taste, only wine that you drink. But faith perceives all these things differently. For faith does not cling to what is seen, but to that which is unseen. Faith clings to the word. And the word tells us that it is Christ himself who puts his body into your mouth. And Christ himself who puts the chalice of his blood to your lips. And it is Christ himself who you receive, his body given and his blood shed for the forgiveness of every last one of your sins, that you and he may be one. In these latter days, may you live by faith and not by sight, and by the word, not by lies. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.